We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be looking at what seems to be one of those weird phenomena of the 1970s. Uh, another one of the sets of multiple movie pilots before a show moves on to a series. Tonight we're looking at the pilot episode of The Six Million Dollar Man, entitled The Six Million Dollar Man. In a highly classified room somewhere in a federal building, gray men and women plan the next level of weapon in America's arsenal of freedom. Oliver Spencer of the Office of Strategic Operations, the OSO, has a plan for a new super weapon, and the price will be an astronomical $6 million or more. All they need to do is to wait for some scrap to build from. Meanwhile, astronaut and test pilot Steve Austin is testing NASA's latest lifting body. As his good friend Rudy Wells looks on, problems with the craft cause a horrific crash. Steve Austin is left a shell of a man. He has lost both his legs, his right arm, and his left eye. The wreck of Steve Austin is the scrap Oliver Spencer has been waiting for. He approaches Steve's doctor, Rudy Wells, who also happens to be a scientist that has proposed a process for radical reconstructive surgery, building lifelike robotic parts to replace missing limbs. Spencer offers to fully fund Wells' work to build a cyborg from a man. Steve Austin will be that man, better than he was before. Better, stronger, faster. Austin, however, has strong misgivings. He would rather be dead than crippled, and feels strongly that being part man, part machine, would make him more monster than man. He also has strong misgivings about the price. He's no fool. He knows he'll have to pay it. As the months go by, he learns to operate his new limbs. He slowly comes to grips with his new reality of his life and his growing love for his nurse, Jean Manners. But then, tragedy strikes. Austin comes upon a car wreck and a frantic mother. Her child is unconscious and trapped in the car. Austin rushes to the rescue, ripping the car door off and bashing the car seat off the boy, pulling him to safety just before the car explodes. The grateful mother's elation soon turns to terror when she sees that Austin's arm was damaged and his circuitry is showing. Throwing a hissy fit, Austin refuses to talk or have his arm repaired, and so he has his first meeting with Spencer. Spencer is nothing if not direct. I needed a new weapon. I wanted a robot, but robots aren't good enough yet, so I've got you. The next best thing. Super strong and capable of thinking in the field. It's time to pay the piper. Austin is sent to Saudi Arabia to rescue an Arab-Israeli captive from Arab terrorists. It's a dangerous mission, and it's also completely bogus. The hostage is long dead, and Spencer knew it. He sent Austin in to a certain death assignment to see if he could come out alive. Austin gets his first taste of cyborg action, rescuing a different prisoner and causing mayhem for the Arab terrorists. Steve Austin is America's new super weapon, but he's wounded. He is put back into induced electronic sleep until he heals. Or perhaps until he's needed again. So, six, the six million dollar man. Um, you know, I think, I think when I think of the six million dollar man, which was a very successful series, right? I think in a way far more things like aliens, Bigfoot, the Soviet death probe, the fembots, you know, uh, big science fiction-y things, but it's, it's easy to kind of forget that its origins were very much sort of Cold War spy, um, stories. And, uh, that's what we've got in evidence kind of here. Anyway, what did you think of the movie? How long has it been since you've seen the original Six Million Dollar Man? Oh my, um, since I was, um, in junior high. Hmm. So that's been at least a good 10 years. 
bite me. <laughs> Just trying to be complimentary there, Ben. Okay. Uh-huh. I'd get uh, 40. Let me, let me rephrase that since it aired originally. Ooh, yeah, that's – you know, I don't think I saw it when it aired originally. So I think I saw it – Years later, I I think I caught in with the series, but anyway. So, what did you think? Did it uh, do? Did it jive with your memory of the Six Million Dollar Man? Or, well, you know, we have gone back and looked at a number of shows, you know, you know, for for this podcast, shows that I remember going into just feeling so unbelievably excited about because I remember thinking, wow, it really rocked when I saw it as a, you know, as, as a teenager, only to look at it in the cold light of day and think, oh, my God, what an utter piece of depressing, disappointing garbage. Hmm. Not this time. Actually, I liked it better. It, it did more than hold up. Cool. I, I thought it was I, – I was surprised at how much I really, for the most part – genuinely appreciated it and it's not perfect it, it there were a couple of things that i didn't like i'm not gonna say that i didn't like but i, I thought yeah yeah i kind of questioned that but as a whole i thought it did a lot of things right yeah i think it's a pretty good uh, particularly if you were starting it off kind of as a standalone movie i think it did a lot of uh, it was it was good and and i suppose that Somebody who has never seen the Six Million Dollar Man and watched this, and then said, "So why is a science fiction podcast looking at what's essentially, um, a, a, at best, an, a, a secret agent kind of an, an operative kind of story?" And it's you know we don't have bionic arms right now. We don't have prosthetics that are that good, yeah, that are that still, amazing. It's still uh-huh. science fiction. It is still speculative fiction, absolutely. But I, you can't imagine how many times I've heard – you know, there are people who will say, you know, I went into technology and I went into, um, you know, computers and science because of things like Star Trek. And I wanted to help work on communicators and tricorders and, and build these things that, you know, have been inspired of them. But but that is also true of the $6 million man. There are – there are countless people who are working to improve the prosthetics and what we can do in reconstructive surgery for mm-hmm. people who have damaged it because of this show, because of the, you know, the, the, the hope, the inspiration that this gives. So, you know, sometimes you can't dismiss the power of science fiction to put the idea out there and then say, this is what we want to go do. So, uh, you know, I think I think it's fair to call this in the science fiction realm, particularly in 1975, when oh, this absolutely. was a pipe dream that that they could do anything at, at this level. You mm-hmm. know, control it with your brain, or uh, you know, make it even a reasonable facsimile of the human arm. So, um, it's kind of getting that out of the way. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I I was reminded of how different it is from the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. No mention of bionics at all. The word bionic is never mentioned in this show. They're just That's right. They're just sort of robotic arms. Um, you know, there's no Oscar Goldman. There's Darren McGavin playing Oliver Simon, who is uh, sorry, yeah, Simon? No, Oliver. Oh, something. My Spencer. God. Oliver um, Spencer. Spencer. Yeah. Uh, who is a heck of a unpleasant character. Oh, he's he's not nice. He is not nice, but you know he's he's that kind of guy that we have working at the top. He's kind of the I don't know. I wouldn't. I'm not going to say he's like smart like Mycroft, but you know he's that emotionless, calculating guy that the government employs to do the nasty work kind of thing. And he just he doesn't put it up in any with any crap. And um, and he's. You know, he's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve is not military. No, he's a civilian pilot. A civilian. Even though we know he'll become – he'll be given the rank of colonel later on. Right. And and I think that's not a question of them giving him the rank of colonel. I no, think that's, that's literally just – it's a retcon. Just like – It's a retcon, yeah. You know, when they get around to Oscar Goldman, suddenly it's Oscar Goldman was the ga- the man that, you know, 
spearheaded the project to get it going, et, et, et cetera. So, yeah, and also the uh, the whole thing about the six million dollars. It's not just the parts. It was, if I recall correctly, it sounded like that it was also the facility that was needed in order to. Some of the uh, facilities, yeah, it's the whole project is six million dollars. The whole project is six million dollars. Yeah, and later on, in the, um, in fact, I remember there's there's an episode much later on. It's one of those crossovers between with with uh, uh, Steve Austin and Jamie Summers, mm-hmm. and and the whole thing is you know well, how much did you cost? And he says, oh, I cost six million dollars. And and they looked at Jamie and she says, not not as much, smaller parts. Smaller parts, yeah, yeah, and. Um, also in one of the – by the way, we're not going to be talking about Six Million Dollar Man episode by episode. That That's not going to happen. That There's too many years and it's just – it's not going to happen. We're just looking at the three pilot movies that were made before it went on to a series. It's just going to warn people. So we might say things now like when they announced that there was really another Bionic Man made before Steve Austin – who had four limbs, and so he cost more too. There's, there's that. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, you know, this is more realistic. I mean, I don't know that the numbers are realistic, but you know, they had to put together the equipment and they had to put together the team and they build them. And there's also like ongoing maintenance costs, a million dollars a year for the facilities and, and and ongoing. So that that's kind of interesting. It doesn't seem like a lot of money. Not by today's standards. Not by today's standard. It's just like, and and I, whenever they talk about doing a remake or a movie version of it, uh, it's always like the six billion dollar man. Just right. Multiply it by a thousand and go. You know. So, um, let's see what else we have. No bionic sounds. No, that was bionic. disconcerting. We are made aware of it, but we never see it used. The bionic eye. Right. It, which is, he says, it uh, it might exceed your regular vision. Yeah. But so it's not like, oh, he's got a 21 to zoom, 20 to 1 zoom and thermal imaging kind of thing. Right. Um, and, well, let's see here. Also, the, uh, the, the, uh, it, the bio, well, the, what the limbs can do. Come off as a tiny bit underwhelming in their presentation. Oh yeah, especially when he's rescuing that boy. Exactly. It's like, but maybe that's just because he's new at it and he doesn't know. But yeah, pulling a chain and when he breaks through, it, he did seem kind of weak. <laughs> to say it, he seemed a bit lame. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but for you know, considering that this is again, we're talking about a pilot. I mean, this is the first story. Um, I kind of, I'm sure that anybody who watched it when it originally aired probably thought, "Holy cow! What mm-hmm. do I have to do to maim myself in order to get one of these parts?" Yeah. So, I mean, and that brings up a, a we get into a uh, part about the episode is the misgivings that Austin feels. Now, I think it's realistic to believe that, you know, nobody would particularly appreciate losing limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, I understand that there's a lot of emotional trauma that goes along with that. Uh, there's sometimes feelings of not being a whole person, you know, an inadequacy that comes about from that. Uh, not just the frustration of not being able to do things that you used to be able to do, but there's there's just sort of a I'm not a hundred percent kind of thing, and I think they they did a fair job of I, I liked it portraying I liked that in it. Yeah. in Austin, but at the same time they also kind of made it well. That's because of the kind of guy that Steve is, and I'm not sure that I buy off on that. You know, they kind of give him, well, you know, he's that rugged individualist guy. And so he doesn't like the fact that he's lost his legs and he wants to die. My guess is a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it, there was a tiny bit of shortchanging there to people who are uh, victims of amputation. So 
yeah, but I was able to give that just a little bit of a hand wave. No, I was I appreciated that they at least portrayed at least it they and addressed I just, it. They addressed it. I just yeah. thought it was odd that they kind of made it sound like it's because he's special. It's like, no, I think I no, think most anybody, people would be Yeah. You know, particularly that badly. Uh you know. Well, I could see how someone who's very very active would possibly feel differently i mean they're still gonna have a bad reaction over somebody who is maybe not quite as uh physically active you know in, in you know be it uh sports um anything maybe maybe it doesn't matter uh, but but i'm not going to take away from what that other person would feel either i just think it might be different maybe not even the same i i it could be a different intensity it could have a different set of nuances but now let's ask but, the question uh, i Go ahead. No, I was just going to simply say that they were addressing the more physical aspect of how Steve is. Uh, but, yeah, we don't want to ignore the fact that there are other people who aren't quite as who, – who never who aren't um, up to the Steve Austin standard of living, shall we say. <laughs> and they too would would have a negative reaction over the fact that they lost lost a limb. Um, how would they feel if they saw an arm? I mean you know, the, I got to admit – uh, I tried to put myself in Steve's place when he's in the hospital bed and they show him the arm for the first time. You know, um, I think given the overall trauma of everything, I would kind of freak. You know, and, the, and there's my question that, that I want to go on. So first off, right, you're not going to be happy. Maybe you don't want to live. Maybe, you know, your, your life has been thrown upside down and everything you know is gone and changed. Absolutely get that. But you said it earlier, you know, a lot of people would be like, wow, how do I lose an arm and get a bionic? You know, yeah. would you? Because he clearly no. feels like Frankenstein. No, I wouldn't. He, he feels I, like I a monster not. there. He and, does. Um, and the only reason I said that is because I was reading up uh, on this as as I was uh, watching, you know, putting together my notes uh, and watching the episode or watching the movie. And I had read I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but I'd read that there were some kids who were just completely gobsmacked about how awesome you know uh, Steve Austin was, uh, being able to run at 55 miles an hour, uh, being able to throw things at incredible distance, all of these wonderful physical things that he could do, and they were looking at finding ways of maiming themselves, believing that they could get their arms and legs replaced. Oh, that's just that is just. One of the more depressing things I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and which forced Lee Majors to do a PSA. The studio uh, or either the studio or the network got very concerned when they heard about this. And they had Lee Majors do a PSA. Uh, and this was – I guess this was early on, in the, very early on. Uh, I don't know if it was during the three-movie cycle or if it was actually <sighs> while the first season was running. But it was pretty early from what I read, and he had to make some kind of public service announcement letting kids know, hey, don't do this. You know, I'm an actor. This isn't real. You are real. You, this is not something you want to be doing to yourself. So I'm about, oh, I don't know, 10 years old when this show comes out. And uh, the earliest moving pictures of me that exist – are me doing six million dollar man stunts mm -hmm. right it was cool it was running slow motion but really 60 miles an hour and and all that stuff cool and and i was that age and thing and never once never once ever would it have crossed my mind that this was anything but complete and absolute fiction or that it would be worth the trade-off for that kind of thing. And then it's just that, that there were morons out there that thought that is really is one of the most depressing things I've ever, mm -hmm. I've ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. I mean, I even watching it as well, in my case, I was, I was 13 when I saw it. And maybe because I was a teenager, maybe I had a little bit more sophistication than some younger kids, but I watched it and thought, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I have no desire to be in an accident like that. No, thank you. Yeah, which uh, I believe, uh, you know, 
trivia that everyone knows, the astronaut that actually had that accident, that's a real crash, walked right. away from that. With Yeah, he did. I think he lost an eye eventually to an infection or something afterwards. But he, uh, yeah, it was it was not a Steve Austin level accident that, that no. occurred. It just is incredibly horrific looking. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just kind of taking this weird sort of interlude here in the middle of the podcast to tell you that um, when we were recording this about halfway through uh, my internet went out for the evening. And so we've had to, we've had a, a, a week or two break here with uh, between people getting sick and stuff. So this just, time it was you, not me. It was me. It was me this time. I'll admit it. And uh, so we're going to pick up uh, more or less uh, with some stuff that uh, we didn't get to in the last half. And hopefully we don't cover stuff that we did last time too terribly much because uh, because we've forgotten what we said. All right. So, Ben, I was about to ask you if you had noticed any parallels to this, to the setup of this, particularly to the setup of RoboCop. The, well, the much yeah, later film. I was, yeah. I, I remember I didn't think that there was any, and you were the one who brought up the Robo, RoboCop comparison. And I remember saying something along the lines of that thought had never occurred to me. I, I got as but far as right, that it is. thought. And then that's when the internet went out. So. Yeah. Yeah. About right. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I wouldn't have put it in my mind. I wouldn't have put the parallel there with the series, The Six Million Dollar Man, where it's far more benevolent. But the way it's set up with Spencer and the accident uh, and and his comments about, you know, I'd prefer to have a robot because the emotions wouldn't get in the way. And if Mm -hmm. you think about that, that really when, when Murphy in RoboCop is brutally killed, if you will, Um, you know, they're pretty harsh about that. Lose the arm, wipe the personality. Um, You know, it it is the same kind of we've taken a scrap body and we've we've built it into a weapon. And in RoboCop, they just did what Spencer would have done if he thought he could get away with it. You know, it's interesting you should say that, because one of the things that I noticed um, and maybe this is just an an effect, uh, a poor one. But before Steve gets the bionic implants, I mean, we see him, he's already received the amputations. And if you look carefully, you can clearly see that he has a leg, but it's amputated just like either just below or above the knee. Hmm. Now, I believe the reason they did that is purely for visual sake, because the leg was underneath a blanket. So by sticking holes in the bed, you know, um, Lee Majors could, you know, just drape, drape his leg down. But let's take that as legit. Let's, let's assume for a second that maybe that really was the case. That means that they would actually have had to have gone in and then remove mm-hmm. the healthy part of the leg, both legs, which to me is a bit on the ghoulish side. I wonder if it could, you know, couldn't be even made to work. Without the upper part, because you know he wouldn't be doing sixty-five miles an hour if he just had the lower. Exactly, leg right around the, the knee, knee part. No way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and this this ties in. I mean, obviously, RoboCop's a much newer film, and it's it's telling us something. But you know, I never would have I never would have drawn the parallel if we hadn't watched this and then and seen how really ruthless Spencer is trying to be mm-hmm. in this story. Um, but. Let's let's take it a bit further, because I think we're seeing something a difference between the storytelling in nineteen seventies and the storytelling now. If they remade this oh, film, right, if they made this story right now, I can guarantee you there would be a different revelation would have popped up in the course oh, of this story. Easily, but, um, how weird of a coincidence is it that one for some reason Steve Austin the astronaut, seems to be really good friends with Rudy Wells. That, yeah. Rudy Wells is there for the flight, and that at the exact same time, Spencer is giving his presentation 
trying to get approval. I mean, they make a great deal of cutting back and forth between him yeah. going into the building, going up the elevator, going to the meeting and stuff. And then, you know, all we have to do is to wait from some scrap and literally cutting to the scene where Steve is now, you know, up in the up in the air and getting ready to go on that flight. And the only thing that would have made it weirder is the moment Spencer says, you know, waiting for some scrap would have been to have the pl- just cut right to the plane crash. To the plane crash. Now, I can absolutely guarantee, considering how unpleasant they made Spencer in this, intentionally, I can absolutely guarantee that if this were film were made today, it would be explicitly pointed out that he caused the accident. That's right. Hmm. He set this up. I mean, it, it feels like a setup. How is how Rudy Wells, for crying out loud, the guy who's proposed? It would be completely different if Steve had some great pal <clears throat> that was there and it was a doctor. And then it was a different doctor that had proposed the bionic surgery. That would make sense. But the fact that it's it's all just tightly wrapped up there at the beginning and the fact that the U.S. government is looking to make a weapon and, ah, boy, it, it, you know, it, it never comes out. But it really feels to me like this is a setup. Steve mm. Austin was intentionally set to fall for this. Now, now, retconning, there is an episode in the TV series years later where he goes back and has to fly that puppy again. I seem to remember something about that. Yeah. Yeah, And it turns out like the mechanic, his trusted pal or something was a saboteur and that he had been sabotaged and they tried to do it again. But but because he had a bionic arm, he was able to hold the stick steady or something like that. Um, pull, I haven't seen that episode recently, but that's my recollection of it. And, um, you know, which in a way is, I don't like that either because it takes away the inevitability or the, the accidental nature. You know, it, it wasn't Steve's fault, but at the same time, Steve couldn't prevent it. But by making an act of sabotage, then it's, you know, Steve, the infallible guy, he probably could have pulled out if it hadn't been sabotaged. You know, it, it kind of diminishes the the nature of the accident. But but then taking it back to this one, where it seems all the world, like Spencer, engineered this, I, I that's pretty dark. And and I what I can't figure out is whether they're trying to imply it, and we're supposed to we're supposed to draw that from it. Or well, whether it's just case, unintentional and, and, you know, my cynical nature looking back on it. But, you know, they might have they might have soft peddled on the American government in the 1970s. They might have been saying, you know, hey, we are the good guys and we wouldn't do anything wrong. So, um, you know, it's 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 a it like I jokingly said in my recap, our arsenal of freedom Um you know, we're making weapons, but we're only making weapons for good purposes, not bad purposes. And, mm-hmm. and you know, now looking back on it, of course, obviously, we're as corrupt as anyone. Um, but and, and maybe the script writer was telling us that. In not so many words. Uh, that's wow. Really dark. I mean, it's dark by today's standards, but you we're checking. We're projecting back to the mid 70s. Mm-hmm. And then it that's just that's malevolent. But the coincidences, you know, the parallel storytelling, the, the well, Rudy Well, yeah, Although again. Rudy does seem shocked. Yeah. Now, again, we are projecting uh, storytelling technique that we know today and throwing it backwards. And I think what's yeah. important is to have to look at this thing from a 1970s point of view. I think the only reason that they decided to go ahead and write the fact that Rudy was there is simply because – I mean, I, I would string this up to just, just a whole string of coincidences. I mean, Rudy's there because he is a very, very close friend of Steve's. And the whole bit with Spencer, I mean, that's just going on right now because it, it's, it's a new project. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, you know, if you were to ask any of the writers, I'm sure they would have said it was just one big coincidence or maybe they were doing it purely as a story narrative thing. But at no point did they have any intention of trying to communicate the idea that there was some darker motive at play. And and it could be right. And I, but I do want to say this. Um, I think we do 
a disservice to writers of yore by by you know oh well they you know that's not the what what they would do or write you know they were constrained by not what their imaginations could come up with they were constrained by certain well by the well by, by the network networks. executives yeah. and you know we we can't explicitly say that the US government does but but here's consider Right. Rudy Wells seems shocked when Spencer comes to him and says, hey, I want you to do the bionic thing. And, and well, he doesn't say bionic because they don't use the word bionic. But he comes to him and says, you know, here it is. Here's the money. I'll hand you the money. You do this thing you've proposed to the government. And Rudy is, of course, he's not prepared for this. He's obviously not part of it. But is it not possible that Spencer researched Rudy and arranged for someone he knows to be the victim to give further incentive. Possible. To, to, to you know, it's like, hey, it's Steve Austin, your friend. Surely you can't let him die. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm not going to rule that out, but you did hit on one thing. Um, that is that maybe the you know maybe there was some attempt at trying to write this at least on a clandestine level. Uh, from uh, purely a creative standpoint, and perhaps the, the the network did want to put their foot down because, again, we're talking 1970s. Uh, we're we're coming out of Vietnam. There was a very, I, I think they were really the idea of portraying any faction of the government. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for yeah. for network family. T- I mean, because this is this this is for family TV. It's prime time. The idea of trying to project uh any uh ugly bell you know underbelly of the government that would do something to one of its own especially a test pilot who oh, yeah. among some people i mean even though you know steve wasn't wasn't military for the sake of the pilot uh, he's still a test he's still a test pilot and to some that makes him you know to, to some geeks as like making him a rock star even back then yeah, I mean, they were. I mean, we think back to you know the, the pilots of the right stuff and and the astronauts and the amazing things that they did. I mean, they were regarded as heroes even back then. Right. So he, now you've got Steve Austin, who is supposed to be like all know, American uh, boy astronaut. Well, he, he, yeah, yeah, he's like Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, and and of course you know TV back then was generally had to portray certainly TV movies and series. God, American Apple Pie. Well, yeah, I mean, it had to be all about yeah. optimism. Um, so the idea of them uh, or, or somebody or at least deliberately trying to communicate the idea that there was some nefarious scheme involved just so that Spencer could uh, get what he wanted and that was to you know create a you know take somebody and weaponize them in this manner I mean that in of itself the idea of weaponizing a human is just it, it's ghoulish to begin with. But now we're talking about causing an accident in order for this to happen. Okay. I mean, you know, th- this is a far cry from RoboCop because I mean, what happened to what happened to Murphy was all about. I mean, he was just gunned down by by criminals. But to have somebody in the government actually engineer an accident, I mean, and I'm not saying that mm. it didn't get discussed. Okay. Well, but personally, I I feel it, it. I think it's a little reprehensible. Do, do uh, you feel the same way when I remind you that the second half of this story is Spencer sending Steve on true. a suicide mission that he engineered it, that is just true. to see if he's good enough to do it? That is true, and that's pretty harsh. Right. Yeah, that you're right. You're right. That is extremely harsh. Um, uh, and and I remember being completely. Uh, beyond offended by that story element, you know. Uh, there's, but then again, there's absolutely there's nothing re- hmm. redeeming in Spencer whatsoever. So yeah, that that but, story aspect does give some credence to the theory that maybe he or somebody that he is connected with possibly engineered Steve's accident. And and and. Right. It's certainly he's a reprehensible person, but is there nothing redeeming about him? Because he seems to be he seems to be fighting the dirty fight on the side of the angels. You know, I mean, he's he's if I want to 
If I'm going to risk so a man with justify, World and, and, War III, well, in other I'm not words, saying that's the true. The I'm just saying that's his position. But but he but he's he's one of these ends justify the means kind of guys. Yes, that makes yes. him utterly amoral, in my opinion. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. We have our team of amoral people, and and just how far would his amorality stretch to include ripping up a an, an astronaut uh, to it? To, I want to I want to bring up one other uh, point here. When we were talking about, uh, you know, Steve during his re, uh, recovery complains that the price, he doesn't want to pay the price, whatever the price is. He knows there's a price. You don't do stuff like this without a price, right? He, he's, uh-huh. he's big on that. And then when Spencer comes to him and says, well, you knew you were going to have to pay this. You don't have to pay the price. And well, I didn't, you know, sign up to do this. And, and Spencer, says, well, I think, you know, maybe you owe it to us. Not his words exactly. I mean, you had 12 years in the civilian astronaut program. I think you're pretty... And it, and it's... That passed me by on the first pass. But if you think about it, as you said, astronauts, test pilots, rock stars, right? They're our mm-hmm. heroes. We owe them, right? Isn't that the narrative? We owe... You know, we owe something to these people in uniform or who serve Absolutely. the country. But what Spencer is saying here is, we let you be an astronaut. You owe so us. So now you owe us. So that, 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 oh, wow, that is the most warped version of quid pro quo I've ever heard. More, more yeah. so than, yeah, we gave you the arms. It's like we also let you be, you know, the government let you. You, you owe the government. I mean, for crying out loud, we sent you the moon. It's like, no, you stuck your stuck this guy on top of a freaking bomb and and he was brave enough to go you know um so yeah it, it the, the character of spencer is 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 problematic but um yeah um let's see i i did i called pulled out a line which i don't have the exact quote but when uh, i i liked it because of of its nature and i just bring it up uh when i was on the moon i felt closer to earth than i do now yeah, with his yeah. with his bionic legs when he's walking along. Uh, another question: the mission, which, as we've already pointed out, is apparently is it supposed to be a suicide mission? Is he sending him on a mission? Just be- so he's going to send the guy in. Let's pretend it's a real mission. There's the camp, and there's a prison block, and they're going to send him in to rescue the guy and get out. Now, presumably, that's not a suicide mission. No. Now you remove the guy from the cell block, and it's the same mission. Well, mm-hmm. surely it's the easier mission because you don't have to get the guy out, at least. Right. Why does that become a suicide mission? And That's the other a really was good not. question. But That's it, they a act very, like very good it question. is. They do act like it is. And, they, and there's also, and maybe it's just me reading into it, but I kind of got this feeling that yeah, well, if Austin dies, then he dies, you know, and we'll just build another one. And I mean, that's kind of the tone that I was getting out of that. Absolutely. Which I thought was very, very strange. And, uh, dark. and, and again, you're right. And oh, it's, it's sick, is what it is. Uh, I mean, on so many levels. Now, I cannot remember if any of that is in the the original novel. And and I guess I could go back and reread it. Um, it, it, does, it does end with a mission in the desert to rescue somebody, but I don't. I don't remember whether or not it, you know, it was a setup in the end that turned out to be dark. And I guess I'll read that just to find out because maybe I've forgotten that they had manipulated Steve into the accident too. Mm-hmm. I'll have to, I'll have to go back and see. But um, but that's a good question. Why is it all suddenly suddenly a suicide mission? Uh, I don't. I mean, know. yes, he's risking uh, his that life make for any nothing. Sense that that I mean, is yeah, i mean but, there is no doubt about that's nasty and yeah that's awful but why but not, why is that now suicide as opposed to the other attempt yeah it's more of a murder mission to see if he gets himself killed yeah yeah that so, i believe but like you said before i risk world war 3 on a man i must know he's totally reliable does that mean he doesn't come back and kill you for sending him in on that on that mission i mean yeah what how, how is how is sending him in on this mission and getting him out make him totally reliable? Does he mean I'm going to rely on him to have the powers to achieve what I sent him to do? Or does he mean reliable in that he'll carry out the mission? I, I don't quite. That's kind of what I, I just I just kind of got the feeling that he reliable to the point where 
he's got the discipline and and the motivation to try to see the mission through as best as he's able to do. Yeah. Um Let's see. Oh yeah. One of the things when he suggests to send him on the mission, Austin's answer is I won't kill. And Spencer says, well, no one's asking you to. It all, and he says, oh, come on. He says, it all depends on your ingenuity. You know, so if you don't want to kill, you don't have to kill. Mm-hmm. You don't have to kill. Austin kills. Yeah, he lobs bombs. He, he, he uh, threw a grenade down a, a yeah. tank. Now, yeah, you know, I, you I, could, I noticed that too, and I kept thinking, you know, if that guy doesn't die in that tank, that'll be a miracle. I get the whole A-team thing. You throw a grenade behind someone, and it causes them to spring through the air and oh, land course. unconscious. But no, you drop a grenade in a tank. They're going to die. It's going to kill They're dead. Him. He killed them. Yeah. Um, so, but here's another kind of weird thing to that. Because he's a civilian in this version... That statement, I won't kill, kind of makes sense. Yeah. When they convert him to a colonel in in the next series, or in the next, or I don't even know if it's in the next movie, at some point they convert him to a colonel, and then they give him this long military background, you know, almost was a Thunderbird, uh, you know, got into the NASA space flight program, etc. He, um, and and made it to the rank of colonel. I think we can safely say, and maybe, you know, if we have any listeners out there who, who have done military service, perhaps you can correct me. But if you join the military, you, no matter what line of work you go into it, you kind of have to be prepared to kill, right? Yeah, you do. You, you, don't, no, you don't join the military as a conscientious objector. You are either no. going to kill. If you go into war, you are either going to kill or right. you are going to support the killing. Right. In You're, some way. If there is if there is the chance that you could see combat, then you need to be prepared. I mean, you, you might not, but and, and it, obviously but you, you have to you be morally well. okay with that. And, and yeah, and I'm not passing a judgment on that. In other words, that no, is, that's no, a, no. You're, it's a simple statement. You're right. I, you know, I don't expect to find people in the military who you know is like I don't carry guns, and um, you know, it's like no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that doesn't way. Doesn't work so that way. So is that why he's a civilian in this? I mean, just for the sake that he could throw that, that can, line? You know, they can try to draw that line between I'm not a killer, I'm not a weapon, whereas well, a military worked, man is a weapon. You he know, trained it would have one. worked even better. I think the line would have had more resonance if it had turned out that he had been military and was now retired. One of those I've quit because I'm fallen out with the idea of killing kind Something of like that. You know, but for whatever reason, he's no longer military. Um, they don't have to like drill that into the viewers' heads, but make that point clear nonetheless, so that when he finally does say, "Make this clear," you know, now today I will not kill. It might give the line a little bit more weight. Um, maybe kind of add a new uh, a new layer to to Steve's character to his psyche. Than just to make him a civilian who says the you know who finds the idea of killing completely objectionable, and and just on the subject of his colonelness and his civilianness, um, if he had been in the military, and then he had quit the military, and then he had gone to work for NASA, would he not be a civilian astronaut? I would think so. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be. A, you wouldn't be a military pilot you would be a civilian pilot once right. you leave so there's yeah. there's actually nothing in the setup that says he wasn't in the military so when they later on start calling him colonel you know it, it could be that he had previously been and they just you know it's not that huge of a retcon but it's kind of interesting that they do sort of point it out in this a couple times that he's he's a civilian you know, even to the not really saluting the general kind of thing uh-huh. uh, at the beginning. Um, if Spencer had continued, which she doesn't, spoilers, folks. If uh-huh. Spencer had continued, what kind of relationship do you think Austin and Spencer would have been able to forge? 
Well, definitely in the beginning, it would have been highly antagonistic, assuming Spencer never got rewritten in terms of his personality type. Highly antagonistic. I could see maybe over the course of a year of there being some kind of um, some kind of thawing between the two of them, especially on Austin's part. On a respect uh, and, level? Uh, on a respect level, um, possibly even even the, on Spencer's part. I mean, I could you know it's very very feasible that two thirds or even you know as we get close to the end of the, of the first first season, Spencer finally you know just just because you don't want your character to be completely static all the way through because no that's not interesting. You need to you need to give him some kind of evolution, uh, and we, that was done even back in, in the seventies. So I could see him maybe towards the end of the first season, all of a sudden, you know, you see a little chink in his armor that helps the audience realize that maybe there is a human being that lurks underneath that horribly cold ex- <laughs> uh, exterior of his. I, 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 the, the reason I asked that question is because of the, the basically the last scene with the two of them. Oh, the God, that's lying there on the table. He's been shot up. So- can we keep him asleep? I mean, now that I, I guess I'm glad you brought that one up. I have to say that when I saw that the very first time, I remember being utterly horrified. Which part of it? The where he's going to put him to sleep? Where they walk out of the room? Well, first he even suggests it. Yeah. First he suggests it, you know, and and you can see even Rudy's kind of well, like says over my dead body, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rudy's even a little bit, you know, and, and Spencer's Spencer kind of smirks and they walk out, you know. And then the thing that kind of well, th- this is the thing that really bugged me um, was actually they just walk out, leave him alone, and you know, shut the door like it's some closet. Yes, I think that's intentional. And shut, turn the lights off, and I thought, you bastards. I mean, wow. I mean, he's it's been, bad enough that he's been turned I mean, into a weapon. He's been put he, back well, in the he's armory. He's not even he's not even a human. I mean, he is he's a machine. Now, he's a tool. You're right. He's a weapon. I mean, you uh, throughout the entire course of the especially the first two thirds of this movie, it's all about Steve coming to terms with the fact that he's now going to have these replacement parts. And you've got Rudy there who's trying to help and, and also um nurse. Um Jean. Uh yeah, yeah. She's she's out there to try and help him help Steve realize that he's still human. And yet mm-hmm. then they throw this part and it's like this was the ultimate act of dehumanizing. I mean for me. It, to it, just uh, just just to leave him in like and t- you know turn the lights off shut the door it's like okay yeah it's you know you you just like putting a broom back in the closet and you you'll only pull it out when you need it again I mean, it just feels really really cold and really dark I mean it I, bothered me then and it bothered me again on this last viewing I, I I'm I'm I don't disagree with you I, I, it is it's something I wanted to bring up it wasn't actually what I was. Going to hit. There's you're, the other. You're pe- focusing on. You're focusing on Spencer and and his bit, right? Uh, the, the bit where Steve says to him, um, you know, he's lying there on the table. Steve can apparently talk, and yet he calls uh, he calls Spencer down, and he whispers something to him. Yeah, and, and, then, and, and Spencer then laughs. I haven't been called. I haven't been the call that since oh, grammar school. Cool. Yeah. That almost implies. Well, it obviously implies some humor on Spencer's part. Yeah, but a um, bit but of a thawing, which I a think bit of is a thawing. really, which is, which is very odd, considering that Steve just came back from a uh, a murder mission, and it feels like Steve was the fact that he's that he's done this by calling him down and whispering it to him. I wouldn't exactly say it's playful, but it's kind of playful. It is, yeah. You I, know, I found instead that, of just saying yeah or whatever he was going to call him. He, he, you know, he brings him down. It's, it's a, it's, you know, he's not spitting at it, spitting it at him vituperously. He's, or, or saying something like, you know, when I get off this, off this table, I'm going to take my arm and I'm going to wring your neck ri- or whatever. I, I'm, I am going to take your, your, uh, your, your, your manhood and and well, yeah, shove him down your throat, you know, something like that. Yeah, but no, he, he, he calls him a name. He calls him a name. Uh, you know, he probably says you're a real. Sob or something like that. Um, some 
some name that you know represents that he's a, a cold, calculating jerk, and but the way he does it make it makes it seem like we understand each other. But all right, I get it, and and that the, that the, the thawing has already occurred there, which is ironic since they're about to freeze him. No, or I'll well, put him back to sleep. Oh. But uh, yeah, yeah, that whole final sequence is strange to me. Um, mm-hmm. But but you're right. It, I'm, I'm sure it's intentionally. They put him in the closet and turn him, turn the lights off, to you know. And we he's, put away he, the six million dollar man until the next property. time we need him. Yep. Yeah, he's property now. I mean, that's kind of where Spencer was sort of going with it anyway. I mean, he didn't outright say it, but he's kind of inferring it, and now it's more or less confirmed. Yeah. Uh, unintentionally by Rudy by, you know, when he turns off the lights, close the door, I wouldn't be surprised if he even locked the door. Not, not that that would do much good, but yeah. No. <laughs> well, keep people out. Keep them out keep, of the armory. Keep other people out, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's just such a very, very dark and disturbing scene. Yeah. But, I, you know, a good movie. It was a good movie. It, it is was... a good movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was again what I what I said uh, at at the top of when we started this whole thing weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, weeks ago. That uh, for all my memories of it, uh, this one not only stood up, it actually exceeded my my previous or or my my current expectations. It was incredibly strong. Um, it it has a lot of sophistication to it for something from that time. Uh, that I did not expect that gave it a good sense of maturity to it, uh, making it a bit not just not just an action packed kind of sci fi but made it a rather thoughtful one too and and rather intelligent whether it, you know whether it keeps up or not is a completely different matter i mean I remember you 've told me uh, some of the things that I get to look forward to in the next pilot whenever if I get to hear it which i 'm or, or see it which i 'm terrified of now uh, so whether it maintains that kind of integrity is is to be seen. I only remember a few episodes here and there. Uh, there were some that really stand out, some that I thought were just ridiculously corny, mm. others that I thought had some real promise to them. But whether the thing actually holds up uh, in terms of you know, overall show – uh, that, that's that's something I guess I'll have to see for myself if I ever pick up the series and watch it on my own. But as a pilot, I thought this one was incredibly strong, and I could understand why the network commissioned another movie. Right, and they've got the perfect premise that they just you know reactivate him when they need him on the next uh, next assignment. But uh, yeah, you know, and the other things you know, the, I thought the science kind of looked good. I mean, for what they knew. And for what they were presenting, I thought the science appeared good. I mean, well, it wasn't, it, you know, it's not Naked Montague rubbish. I did think it was Atlantis. kind of interesting that there is this, um, I, I, I would guess that you have the um, understanding or implication from the series, or even from the way he operates the bionics towards the end. Again, not called bionics in this. No. But um, that it's tied to his brain and it's behaving like an arm i mean mm-hmm. his movements by the time he's done are so natural right right um but and i'm by no means an expert as prosthetics have improved over the years i know that there are some people who have prosthetic arms that have like a claw that they i don't know they wire something into a muscle Right, it's all how you like move the shoulder or something like that, so, and it can yeah, make, make learn, the claw open or close. You move the shoulder in a way that causes the claw to open, and you have to train and learn how to do that. So you're training one part of the body to work something else. Mm-hmm. There's a line in this film, but I assume that the six million dollar man does not work like that. They have they have put a bionic arm in there, and it responds to the you know the finger movie move nerve transmitter does the finger movie but they yeah, do but say I, I, yeah yeah go ahead they do say i've got an 800 page manual for you to learn how to use this thing uh, which makes it sound terribly complex but i would um i i would say it may not be too dissimilar to somebody who um has experienced temporary paralysis retraining you know, it, them to and retraining 
That's because what I, I would have gotten if, if, if it hadn't been for that 800-page manual line, which that I had completely like, forgotten. Yeah, that I I forgot about that until you just remind uh, just said it right there. Right, and Steve, I think eight hundred page man was like what for? If you if you want to point your index finger, Steve, you're going to have to twitch your right nostril while simultaneously yeah. moving the left ear. Now that's the trigger. Or you, I need you need to think about these particular numbers and this particular sequence, and then you'll be able to flip the bird or something that's a, that's ridiculous a four, like that. Four six twenty eight sequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah, so that, exactly. that line was a little weird. I mean, the only thing I, I can think of is that the 400, I mean, the 800 page manual was probably more about just, I'm guessing it was more about just the mechanics and how the whole thing was put together, not maybe. necessarily the operational portion of it. I, uh, maybe, maybe your repair and maintenance of your robotic arm. Right. I how, have how nothing to, else how to maintain this it. <laughs> episode, uh, unless you have something. That, that no, no, I mean, it's pretty much, I think we pretty much, um, Pretty much two covers, but we got there. all of it. Yeah, one one thing that I thought was kind of cute, uh, made me laugh, um, was how uh, Steve smacked that one uh, guard who was sleeping at the tank, and he did it with the bionic arm. And all I could think of is that man, that is going to leave a mark. Oh, did you notice that? Uh, I, well, I think maybe we mentioned this. His bionics didn't seem that strong in this one. No, they didn't. Uh, yeah, we did mention it, especially when he's trying to rescue the kid. Out of that crash van. I mean, if this had been, you know, like six million dollar man TV series, you know, second, third year, he would have in five seconds, he would have yanked the door off and pulled that chair out and the kid out. And he would have been up there um, with a cool drink instead of having to repeatedly bang it. So they're creating for a greater sense of realism. I can only gather that as the series went on, they thought, no, let's make him, let's turn him into a Superman. Actually, um, I heard an interview with Harv Bennett, who was the series uh, producer. Um, and trivia, the man who says Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. That's Harv Bennett ah. doing that piece of voicing. Um, but they had strict guidelines. Steve can jump to a second floor window. He cannot jump to a third story window. Oh, things like had, that. Yeah, yeah, they had. Yes, yeah, all part of the writer's bible. They 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 had limits on him because they couldn't. They didn't want to make it so that he could just do whatever he had to do at any oh, of situation. Not. Um, whenever they needed to do that, Rudy would give him an upgrade so he'd have. A, oh, I'll put a Geiger counter in your arm today, Steve. Oh, thanks. Well, they did things I might like need that, that today. <laughs> well, they did other things like that. Um, I remember one episode, and I think this is the. It's it's one of the. One of the episodes that has the aliens and the Bigfoot and all that. And there's a scene where Steve, if I'm not it's, – it's, I don't know if it's Steve or if it's Jamie, Jamie Summers. But one of them – and actually, actually, I think it happens to both of them on two separate occasions. One of them jumps from too high an elevation. And when they land Fembot, on the ground – Fembot episode is Jamie. She shatters her legs, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah and you, you see sparks fly out, and then they suffer from radiation poisoning. Her, her line is, is um, I'm bionic, but I don't think I'm that bionic. And then she jumps because they're going to kill her. And, uh, yeah, she she spends – that's what <laughs> – those crossover episodes between Steve Austin and Jamie Summers where they would find a way to sideline one of them. Yeah. In the, the Jamie Summers – so in that case, basically, that's the Jamie Summers episode, Cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. She jumps out, uh, busts her legs, radiation might kill her. She's in the hospital the whole next episode while Steve fights the battle and then – come back at the end yeah that right yeah, you're right they, that was she jumped over the limit and that's what happens is they the legs can't handle that so so they did have some kind of limits there but it's clear that they raised those limits significantly between this first film and, and yet they said he was as strong as a bulldozer in this one and clearly he could have ripped those things right out of the wall if he was strong as a bulldozer or or just torn that seat aside instead of banging on it 15 times. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I suppose the argument could be made that he just didn't know his own strength at that point or he hadn't fully come to terms with what he was capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the $6 million man, the pilot. That mm-hmm. sounds like a two thumbs up. Uh, I agree. Two bionic thumbs up. Two bionic. Boop, 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 boop. Well, that's yeah. the eye. <laughs> I'm not even going to make that. I'm yeah, not even going to try to. I can't do the sound no, effect. I can do the eye, but I can't do the hand. Um, right. Uh, 
And, you know, what, what does it mean if you get a bionic thumb that's up anyway? That, that just doesn't sound like a good thing. Um, all right. Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, a pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.